All right, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, understand this is uh, y'all's Bible class hour. I had planned to preach um, an entire sermon during this time. I see I've got 30 minutes. So how about we have a compromise? How about let me preach for a little while, and I'm going to try to my best to stop five to ten minutes before the hour to get some of y'all's con, uh, comments and maybe have a little bit of give and take. Because um, uh, I got some stuff that I really want to talk about. I want to talk about evangelism. It's the only lesson that I have this week for evangelism. And I want to make sure I get out what I really think are some very important concepts that we need to understand when it comes to evangelism. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9 that I've asked you to come to says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies who ha- of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And I wanted to read that verse because it tells us to express purposes that, for which we've been saved, right? First, that we can be enjoyed by God for all eternity as his special possession. But secondly, and more pertinent to the theme, so that we can go throughout this world telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's the tricky part, isn't it? I mean, that's the tricky part. Evangelism's tough. A lot of people don't want to do it. Uh, by and large, we're not doing as much proclaiming as we probably should be. I'm not talking about specifically at this church. I'm just talking about in Christendom in general. That evangelism is just one of those things that we have seen as we've tried to do it, that we've hit rejection, we've hit frustration, and we have hit difficulty at every turn. And so many Christians haven't gone through this just time and time again, really have just thrown up their hands and said, I'm not doing this anymore. And so we've stopped. But ever since I've obeyed the gospel, all I've been hearing about locals of Church of Christ is that our purpose, and we say this with our heads held high, that our purpose is to restore New Testament Christianity into this world, right? Or at least a, a version of that, right? And, and that's right. We are trying to, to, to get away from denominationalism, trying to get away from sectarianism, and just be plain, ordinary Christians as the Bible teaches us. But if we're going to do that, really the rejection and the frustration and difficulty, that doesn't matter. If we're going to do that, we've got to get out there and we've got to do more proclaiming. And so what I thought we could talk about this morning is just to kind of get us back to maybe some very fundamental root causes of maybe why we're not evangelizing and just look at this thing from a very common sense standpoint because I do think that part of the problem with why we're not evangelizing as much as we should is that we've made this thing a lot difficult, more difficult than it really needs to be. And so what I want to try to do, and i got like 20 minutes to do it, I don't know how I'm going to do this, is I want to talk about just seven things that I think are very important to get into us to help us to be better personal workers, okay? Now, the first thing I want to talk about is, is really what we typically do as churches. Whenever we start seeing a little bit of a baptismal drought, you know, evangelism isn't going all that great, uh, who do we usually bring in to uh, help us with that? Uh, I heard somebody label it this way. I didn't come up with this, but I heard somebody call him Brother Big Personal Worker. Okay, We bring in Brother Big Personal Worker, right? We bring in that guy who is just amazing at personal work. Okay, And then he comes in here, and he gets up and he says something like, ladies and gentlemen, so good to be here today. It's wonderful to see you all. I was flying on a plane over here and I was sitting and I was studying my Bible. And as I was sitting and studying my Bible, the guy next to me saw me and he said, I want to study the Bible. And then the guy behind us heard him say that. And then he said, well, I want to study the Bible. And then the guy across from him said, I want to study the Bible too. I was teaching the Bible to the entire plane. Then the plane got into a bunch of turbulence and we landed into the ocean. We baptized everybody. And then he says, and we were swimming ashore, and by the time we got to this small little island, we had appointed elders and deacons. Isn't that fantastic? And we're like sitting there looking like, 
What? That guy's incredible. Man, I want to be just like him. And then he comes and he brings his own brand of evangelism into this. And listen, I'm glad we got guys like that, okay? I'm not going to bash as I, he was called once brother big personal worker. Listen, he's fantastic. I'm glad we guys got, got guys that are like that. But if all it took to get evangelism done was to bring in brother big personal worker, folks, God would have made us all just like brother big personal worker. And he hasn't. Instead, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what God says about the body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse 14, he says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I'm not a hand, I am not part of the body, it's not for this reason any less the part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And what this means is we are exactly who the Lord made us to be. Each one of us gifted with unique qualities and traits and abilities. Brother Big Personal Worker, if he weren't an evangelist, you know what he'd be doing? He'd be selling refrigerators and he'd probably be making a lucrative living selling refrigerators to Eskimos because he's just got that natural just personality where just he can just bring in people. But we're not like him. And we don't have to be like him. And I'm glad we have guys that are like this out there because they do a really good work, but we don't have to be like him. According to a statistic, 71% of converts who remain faithful were taught by a friend. 85% who left the church say that they were taught the gospel by someone that they perceived to be a salesman. And you know what that tells us? It tells us as talented as Brother Big Personal Worker is, there are a lot of people that he simply can't reach. And I'm not saying that bringing this guy in won't even help. It can help. What I'm saying is this. Don't ever let someone tell you or convince you that you have to be somebody different in order to be involved in evangelism. Our job is to figure out how God wants me to do evangelism in the unique way that I can do it. Not allow someone else to bully me into being someone that I'm not. And that's part of the problem, I think, sometimes. Uh, related to this is a lot of the problem that we experience in evangelism is not just the pressure to conform to some just outlandish brother, big personal worker personality. Because a lot of times what happens is that these guys tend to bring in a specific method of evangelism that is, it's his method, it's his thing, it's, he's refined it all these years, it's the way he teaches, and he comes in and he says, if you want to be a real evangelism, evangelist, you've got to teach just the way that I do. And then he brings his method, and then the problem is we're trying to learn his method, but we just can't latch on to his method. It's not that his message isn't teaching the truth, it is, it's just that that's not really comfortable for me, Okay. Now, part of this is good, okay, that he does this, because 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 tells us, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, that the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so part of the reason he's doing this is because this is something that's worked for him, and if it works for others, then that's great too. So no, no problem with that whatsoever, but oftentimes Brother Big Personal Worker brings in a method that no matter how effective it is for him, we're just a little bit uncomfortable with that message. And it's not that we're uncomfortable with it because it's not teaching the truth. It teaches the truth. It's just His way of doing evangelism. If I look at Scripture, what I see are people who taught the truth 
in a variety of ways. Think about the days of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Those jokers built models and visual objects in a time that they were very successful in those endeavors in evangelism. John the Baptist preached a bold message while living the separatist lifestyle, walked around in weird clothes, he ate bugs. Jesus mixed with people socially, going into their homes. Paul's evangelistic efforts involved hanging out in the synagogues. And brethren, what this shows us is that what we need to be doing as Christians is teaching the truth, but teaching the truth in the best possible way that we can according to the unique abilities that God has given us, according to the unique circumstances that we find ourselves in. Because there's no magic formula. There's one gospel But there are multiple avenues that get that one true gospel across. And while we need to be teaching it, we need to be finding the way to do it that we're most comfortable with and not try to be harassed into buying into some canned presentation that's teaching something that we haven't really bought into that that method, if that makes sense. Um, Sometimes the problem is this. Sometimes our our approach in evangelism is we're putting uh, just a lot more emphasis on the church in evangelism than we perhaps should be in the very beginning. Now, I have to qualify this statement because I'm going to get in big trouble if I, if I don't. So let me qualify what I mean by this. We're having a conversation with someone uh, and we say things like, Oh, man, you got to come to our church. It is absolutely wonderful. The Bible classes are wonderful. The worship is great. The people are so loving and welcoming. Our leaders are fantastic. They really care about our souls. We've got great teachers, and we've got children's classes for the kids. I was sick at my church, and the members, they really took care of me. And listen, most of the time, this is true. I mean, because generally speaking, churches are filled with some of the most fantastic people you're going to be around with, wonderful people who care about the Lord and who care about others. But you know what we don't tell people that we're trying to evangelize to? What we don't tell them is that sometimes when you visit our church, you're going to encounter some folks that are a bit different. Sometimes you're going to encounter some folks who don't quite have it all together yet. And you know why? Because of what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, make disciples of all the nations. And folks, that's everybody. That's the guy that's got anger issues, (laughs) okay? It's the guy that's got resentment, like we talked about. It's the guy that's socially awkward. It's the guy that's rude. It's the guy that's immature. It's the guy that constantly interrupts your story while you're trying to tell your own story. The person that you have personality conflicts with, it's someone whose spouse was unfaithful to them, someone who was unfaithful to their spouse. People with drug problems, people with drinking problems, people with doctrinal hang-ups. And the list goes on and on. We don't advertise those kinds of people when we're out there telling people how wonderful the church is, do we? And yet that's the truth. That churches are filled with wonderful people. But while we're being all wonderful, a lot of us got a lot of skeletons in our closet too, don't we? And sometimes they come out in the worst ways when we get together and we get around each other, right? And that's not the only issue sometimes with local churches. Sometimes you're going to come to church and you're not going to like being here. <gasps> I can't believe you just said that. Oh, it's true. We're going to come to church. One Sunday morning we're going to come here and the song leader, he's going to lead the only five songs that you can't stand. And you're going to be like, great day, there's a hundred there's songs, in this, or a thousand songs in this song list. How did he choose the five that I hate? And it's going to ruin your worship. The guy saying the prayer, he's going to go 15 minutes long, or you're not going to know what he's saying. You're not going to know whether to say amen or get out at the end of it. The Lord's Supper talk doesn't connect with you. 
Or maybe the sermon wasn't very good, or you, you came here hoping to be uplifted, but you got your toes stepped on. Or maybe you came here hoping to get your toes stepped on, but you got uplifted instead. And then at the end of the sermon, the men or the elders get up in front, and they announce some change to things that you don't like. And now you're ready to leave because the baby in front of you was crying the whole time, and you just you can't wait to get out of this church. And I'd love to tell you that that kind of thing would never happen here at this Church of Christ. I'd love to tell you that every single sermon when you come in here is going to be handcrafted according to your personal preference. And I'd love to tell you that every song that will be led will be the one that you like and every Bible class that you're asked to teach will be the subject that you like. And I'd love to tell you that the babies at this church don't cry. But you know that days like this just don't happen. You see my point? When we preach to people about the church and how wonderful the church is, what do you suppose then will happen when visitors come into this church with the wrong impression and those expectations don't meet that you've been putting out out there? Well, they leave and they don't come back. You see what's wrong with this method? What's wrong with this message, method is this. John 14 and verse 6. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says this. In a very familiar verse. John 14 and verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What's wrong with this message of preaching the church is that nowhere in Scripture does it say that the church is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And we need to be preaching Jesus Christ. That's who we need to be preaching. You preach Jesus Christ and you cultivate a faith in Him, then you can start teaching about the church. Don't think I'm dogging the church up here. Nobody knew the value of the church more than the one who purchased it with his own blood. I understand what I'm saying here. But what do you think is going to happen when we're teaching the church out there to people and they come in here and they run into difficult people? But when we teach Christ and who Christ is and how He saved me, and then they run into difficult people, then they're going to come and say, well, that's okay because I'm difficult too. And aren't I glad? Because the local church, it's not perfect, is it? If it was perfect, I wouldn't belong. And neither would you. I wouldn't be here. Only someone who has truly identified with Christ in His death, burial, and His resurrection can truly appreciate that and develop the endurance to keep trucking in the local church when things get tough in the local church. So all I'm suggesting in this point is that the church is not to be the focal point and the center of our evangelistic efforts. Jesus needs to be that. Only Jesus. You bring people to the cross and the church and all the problems that can sometimes come into being a part of a local church, a lot of times that will take care of itself if you properly instill faith in Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Uh, fourth, um, fundamental, and I think very important to our evangelistic understanding is to understand where somebody is spiritually and engage them with the respect and the tact that is becoming of a saved sinner. Um, too often when we're talking with folks, um, especially when it's over matters of disagreement, uh, a lot of times, whether it's intentional or not, we can sometimes end up ridiculing a person's beliefs before we've ever really built a proper foundation. Um, what, what am I talking about here? Well, it, it's, it's like when my neighbor approaches me and he says, oh, hey, Reverend, I've been meaning to talk to you. And I go, Reverend? Reverend? Haven't you read Psalm 111 and verse 9 that says, holy and reverend is his name? I don't give myself flattering titles. And then he says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Pastor. I didn't mean anything by it. I just, Pastor? 
Don't you know that pastor is the same role as elder? And the Bible teaches that there are to be a plurality of them that oversee a congregation. I'm not a pastor. I'm just a preacher, my friend. Oh, I didn't mean any offense. It's just that in my church, my church? What do you mean, my church? Did you purchase the church with your own blood? You ever been in conversations like that? I've seen somebody do that before? I have. Um, now, some truth to all these things that I said, right? But why do we do this? Well, because too often in evangelism, we're more interested in winning an argument and inflating our egos than we are saving souls. Yeah, I said it. Because it sure does feel good to kick an argument to the curb with sound biblical teaching sometimes, doesn't it? Feels good to stand on my doctrinal pedestal and look down on all the ignorant masses who don't understand that you don't use instrumental music in a church. What does it matter to win an argument? What does it matter to prove someone wrong? What does it matter to expose false teaching if we lose credibility with that person in the process? It don't matter anything. Colossians 4 and verse 5 and 6 is said for that very reason. Colossians 4 verse 5 and 6 says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And then he says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. There's a book entitled How to Win Souls Today. And it makes the following observation. I love this quote. It's one I wish I had written. It says, One may have a fast draw on the scriptures and may be able to shoot the eyes out of the argument, yet when the smoke is cleared, the real count is not those lying in the streets, but those kneeling at the cross. Brethren, in evangelism, sometimes you have to pick your battles. Sometimes first things first. We can deal with incorrect teaching and we can do that gracefully if you remember that though they may be wrong, I've been wrong too. And in fact are wrong all the time. And a person caught in the web of false teaching will be more prone to continue talking to you and taking us more seriously when we respond to them with the same grace that God affords us. Um, fear is an obstacle as well. Okay, I got time. Yeah, let's talk about fear. A fear is one of the biggest issues that hinders our evangelistic efforts, is it not? In fact, it's been suggested, if you read books on this subject, as the number one reason for why we're not evangelistic. What do we fear? Uh, we fear an unbeliever's reaction towards us, um, lashing out in anger, harsh words, Rejection, abandonment, uh, we might fear physical abuse. Um, often others uh, fear they don't know enough about the Bible uh, to answer an unbeliever's questions in order to properly give a defense. And others fear their own personal failures because of their own inability to live up to God's standards and are concerned to being labeled a hypocrite, maybe written off. Uh, regardless of the specific fear, we've all got them, right? I mean, it's one of the most common tactics employed by Satan to shut us up and shut us down. And, and what's funny about this is, is when Brother Big Purse Worker gets in here, he don't, tell, he don't talk to us about fear, does he? I mean, he makes evangelism look so easy. Brother Big Purse Worker will never tell you how risky evangelism actually is. He'll never tell you that preaching the gospel breaks up families. He'll never tell you they break up friendships, that they break up relationships, or that people will hang up the phone on you. He'll never tell you that if you go door knocking that no one will ever slam the door in your face. He'll never tell you that you'll leave feeling embarrassed. But look in Acts chapter 4. Because I want you to see this. You know, we look in Acts, the book of Acts and we see the evangelistic efforts of these early Christians. We say, wow, man, they must have had something that we don't. It's amazing how they would just go and they would just talk so fearlessly to people. And yet, if you look in Acts chapter 4, I think you see something a little bit different. Acts 4 and verse 29. 
This is the prayer that the apostles um, prayed after they had stood before the Sanhedrin and they were told not to continue preaching Jesus. And they said, well, we're going to do it anyway. In verse 29, they prayed this. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence. How could these men who so put the Sanhedrin in their place like they did, and then when it's over, pray to God that they would continue to preach His Word with all confidence? I'll tell you why. Because evangelism is not for the fearless. It's for those who, though they may be afraid, are so compelled by the love of Christ and the love for others that that love takes precedence over fear. And if you don't get anything else, I want you to get that before you leave this morning. That if you want to be an evangelist, I, I'm not promising you you won't fear. I'm guaranteeing it that you will fear. What I'm suggesting is that your love for God and your love for others should be so astounding, it nips that fear and puts it on the back burner. You're going to feel it, but it's not going to be anything compared to the, trying to save that person's soul. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, Paul says that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And 1 John 4, verse 18, John says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Brethren, if we're to love the Lord with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength, and if we truly love others as we love ourselves, that's what produces evangelists right there. That's what produces them. If you love someone and they are in a burning building, you rush in there to save them, don't you? Will you be scared? Sure, you'll be scared. You'll be scared you'll get burned. But that fear takes a back seat to the love that you have for them, and you'll do anything that you can do to save somebody that you love. That's the difference. You're going to be scared, I guarantee it. But you love somebody so much, fear won't matter. It just won't matter, folks. Two very quick points, and I'm going to try to open it up because I don't want to take up all the time here. But um, uh, six, evangelism is not just a preacher's job. I can say that because y'all aren't paying my salary here, right? I'm not going to get in trouble. <laughs> but it's not. It's really not. It's not the preacher's job. Uh, well, yeah, it is, right? That's why you guys get paid the big bucks. Yeah, right. Listen, let me, let me tell you the problem with being a gospel preacher is I can't get to a lot of people, okay? I can't get to people in my community. You know what happens when I get in a conversation with somebody and they say, well, what do you do for a living? I say, well, I preach the gospel. They say, okay, nice to meet you. Like the roadrunner, they're gone. They're gone because now they start feeling really uncomfortable being around me. You don't have that problem, okay? You can get to your coworkers. You can get to your friends. You can get to your family members just as you are. I'm trying to suggest to you that there's a lot of people that guys like me and Steve and others can't reach that you guys can reach. People in your sphere of influence that you see every day, that you go to work with, that you go to school with, that live in the same neighborhood as you do. You have far more influence on those people than guys like Stephen and I ever will. Personal evangelism is personal. It is the obligation of every person who has confessed that they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. i got more I can say about that, but let me move on to one final point, and then we can open up for maybe some comments. Um, and this is a big one, too. Um, sometimes Brother Big Personal Worker likes to convince us is that we follow his magical formula. Everybody that we talk to is going to be baptized, and we know better than that, don't we? We know better because all we have to do is go through our list of friends and acquaintances and find people that we've talked to and say, yep, they didn't listen, check. They didn't listen either, check. Oh, they slammed the door in my face, check. Oh, they won't return my phone calls, check. And go through the list of all the people we talked to. And we're like, 
Man, I couldn't, I couldn't get that person to be baptized. What happens? Well, we, we stop evangelizing because we're like, why can't anybody be baptized? We forgot the whole point of what evangelism was all about when that happened. All right? Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14 says this. Very familiar verse, I, I imagine, to all of us. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, says, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Brethren, Jesus didn't say there are few who find it because he knew that everyone would be baptized. Jesus knew that only a small minority of people would obey the gospel. And that begs this question. Why then are we doing evangelism? If he knew that many people, most people in fact, were not going to be baptized. I'll tell you why we do evangelism. Because evangelism isn't about baptizing folks. <gasps> he said that. Yes. It's true. Evangelism is not about baptizing folks. Evangelism is about planting the seed. It's about bringing the knowledge and the glory of God to this world. And you know what that means? That some people are going to like it and some people are not. The people who want it, they're going to be baptized. Fantastic. We'll baptize you immediately. Baptisms for the remission of sins. We're going to do that. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. I'm going to continue to encourage you. But I've done my job. I've evangelized. And you know what God says about that? Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 16. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 16. God calls both of those situations a pleasing aroma, a sweet aroma. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 and 16, he says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. That's what evangelism is about right there in verse 14. Bringing the knowledge of Him in every place. And then he says, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? God is glorified in evangelism when we are simply bringing the knowledge of Him in every place. Folks, if all we're interested in in baptisms, you want to know how we can get 3,000 people like they did in the book of Acts, we can go out there to the interstate and we can put up a sign that says, He who believes and is baptized shall get $1,000. And we'll get 3,000 people, probably not in one day, but probably in a weekend. That's what you want? You want to get wet bodies? Let's go do that. That's not what it's about, though, is it? It's not about getting wet bodies. We, we want baptisms. We, we praise God when somebody obeys God. We want that. Evangelism, though, is about planting the seed, bringing the knowledge of God to every place. I don't normally talk this fast, by the way, but I'm just looking at the clock. I'm like, I'm about to get in trouble here. So I'm going to stop because I went through most of my notes. And just anybody got any comments or questions? You want some, some back and forth here on, on anything uh, while we got to five minutes before we close? I know I didn't exhaust this subject, so come on now. <laughs> Any thoughts? Yes, sir. In trying to get a person to join a local church yeah. after the baby gospel, no, that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. So we evangelize to mm -hmm. You know, otherwise we have that motive in mind. Oh sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and hopefully in the, in the teaching process and whatever method that we're using, we're the instill we're instilling the importance that this is not a one-time thing. This is a lifetime choice, and you've got to grow and grow and grow. And God designed the local church for that. You know, we're we're going to instill that if not before, very soon after. And there have been times when I have baptized somebody, and right after I've lifted them and said Amen and hugged them, I said, "Would you like to be a part of our local church here?" And, and if they say yes, and we do it, and if they say, well, let me think about it, say, well, we need, to, we need to study that. Let's, let's meet and study about that. 
and usually they end up coming and sometimes they don't and you know we, we just do the best we can so yeah but absolutely to that so Mm. Yeah. And then in Revelation, you know, 22, and it's telling you that don't add. So that's what kind of Yeah, so hopefully if you've taught the gospel to somebody that you've shared with them Galatians 1, 6 through 9 in the process, I don't mean to be like Brother Big Perth where it's like, you've got to go through that verse and eventually. Well, it's a pretty important one, right? You know, anybody that teaches another gospel other than the true one is going to be condemned. I want them to have that ingrained in them so when they do obey the gospel, if they are a part of a church that's not preaching that one true gospel, I'll say, you know, if, if they're not teaching this one true gospel, you, you can't be there anymore, can you? You can't fellowship with this like your experience. So, yeah, I think Galatians 1, 6 through 9 is, would, would be one of those we want to consider adding to whatever evangelistic method or teaching method we use to try to instill in people that it very much matters the church that you're a part of. So I, I think there's something to that. So, yeah. Yes, sir. I suspect the average Christian sitting in the pew knows a good bit more about biblical teaching than the person that he's going to be talking with as he rubs elbows with his friends and neighbors mm -hmm. and co-workers. And then a simple problem, a simple solution, at least temporarily, about not knowing enough. If you don't know the answer, just say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'll find out and get back with you. 
Yeah. Sometimes it's just a character being the kind of character that you need to have as, as well. You know, when um, I mentioned Todd being the one that taught me the gospel, but um, the person that invited me to a church was a young girl that I took Taekwondo with. Uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> wow! And, and, and it was kind of funny because, um, you know, I was just worldly as can be. I mean, I was like 23 years old, I guess, at the time, and this girl's like 16. I mean, I wasn't interested in anything like that, you know, romantically, but, but I remember, like, you know, seeing other people and then seeing her, and she was just different. You know, she, she just had that salt. She had that quality that was very admirable. And when she invited me to a gospel meeting, she actually did it at a time where my life was just tanking. I was like, I got to change. So when she invited me, it, was, it wasn't anything she was telling me. It was who she was. I said, I do want to check out what church you're a part of. And that's how I kind of met Todd. So, yeah, I, you don't have to be a warrior answering arguments. And, you know, you, you just be who you got to be, and you can attract people to the truth. That's what happened to me, honestly. And, uh, you know, it's, everybody comes a little bit differently. But that was my experience, at least. So, uh, Yes, sir, Mark. Well, that was one of the uh, verses from your earlier lesson, that First Peter 2.12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God. Uh, I mean, so, you know, your uh, conversation honest, uh, that they may observe your good works. That's that's the uh, influence I think you were referring to, you know, uh, as far as, you know, as you go about your life and uh, interact with folks, uh, you, know, you kind of described that lady who had converted her husband. Basically, not necessarily. Obviously, he was probably hearing <laughs> hearing the truth uh, along the way, but he was seeing the truth. You know, that's um, when you think about um, what Paul said to Peter about his uh, sin in Galatians two. You know, what's said there is that uh, basically he, his sin was an attack against the truth. So. You live in the truth is telling the truth. That's that's what mm-hmm. that is, and that that influence that you indicated. You know, this being salt. Um, that's the thing that works, right? Yeah. All all the rest of it, like um, you you'd indicated, is uh, not that effective. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not doing it, you know, as soon as you start sinning, as soon as you start being uh, dishonest in that way. About who you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be following, uh, your effectiveness goes away. When you think about the three things that attracted people to Jesus is miracles, his teaching, and his character, right? Well, the, the miracles, yeah. like you talked about earlier, like the salesman. Yeah. So remember how many folks left Christ that were converted to the miracles? Yeah, and that's what I that's what I was going to say. Yeah. If you if you really study it. Um, the, mo- the majority of people, from what I've seen when I've studied, that were attracted to Christ, they were attracted for all those reasons, but his character was really one of those things that drew him, drew him more in. And I would say second, that would have been his teaching, and the miracles were last. And I, yeah, I, I hate to order those because the Bible doesn't do it. I'm just telling you what I've seen in my studies. If I had to order it, that's how I would do it. Because obviously the miracles were to establish divine credential. I'm not downplaying that at all. But the person that he was was such a magnet for people. He just loved people like the religious elite of that time did. And so, yeah, kind of piggybacking off his, I think, absolutely just emanating a character that's just different from all these other jokers out here. I think that's 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 one of the biggest keys of evangelism for sure. So